This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, this is Josh Kennedy from The Black Moods, and you're listening to Pantheon Podcasts. Pantheon Podcasts presents Deeper Digs with host and rock and roll archaeologist Christian Swain. Music, culture, technology, and rock and roll. Now, with the show. Radio is a sound salvation. Radio is cleaning up the nation. They say you better listen to the voice of reason, but they don't give you any choice because they think it, that it's treason. So you'd better do what you're told. You better listen to the radio. Or maybe not so much these days. Uh, uh, I say that because we have radio legend Lee Abrams coming up for you. And he has some interesting things to say about the old AM-FM. It is a very interesting discussion, so hold tight for that. We're going to be real quick on this. Um, News. Uh, The only thing I'm going to talk about this this, uh, episode is that uh, I am on a panel at Podcast Movement on October 29th at 2.30 in the afternoon Pacific time. So that's uh, 5.30 for you on the East Coast. And for the rest of you around the world, uh, go to Greenwich Mean Time and figure out uh, your exact time from there. Huh? Um, it's uh, it's going to be very interesting. It is um, on music licensing. Um, it's a panel with uh, Jorge Brea, uh, the CEO of uh, Symphonic, which is a digital music rights company. We have Bob Barbieri of PEX, a a cutting-edge proprietary fingerprinting and indexing technology company that is now helping to build a music rights exchange. And, of course, uh, yours truly will be there as a podcast creator, specifically music podcast creator. That's what this is all about. And it's hosted by Liz Moody, a music licensing expert. Uh, This is going to be fun and interesting and the launch of some really cool, fun, interesting things. Uh, As a matter of fact, uh, if you are listening to this and you are a uh, music podcaster yourself, we here at Pantheon have created an organization. This will be a nonprofit uh, and uh, it'll be 
uh, tangentially aligned uh, with us just because we're the ones that are putting it together. But uh, we are looking to um, create an alliance of music podcasters. We call it AMP, the Alliance of Music Podcasters. How about that? All you have to do is go to pantheonpodcast.com backslash AMP, AMP, uh, to register uh, and be a part of the discussion uh, as uh, we work with the rights holding committee uh, and develop uh, solutions that uh, we can legally uh, use music for the benefit of both of the creators and the license holders. So very, very excited about that. I hope you guys, um, some of you can join uh, Podcast Movement. Uh, if you are into that, um, you can uh, um, find uh, the, uh, the panel um, and all the other great panels that uh, Podcast Movement has to offer. Uh, podcastmovement.com, no surprise, huh? Uh, okay, so there's that, there's that. So go uh, and join up if you'd if if you'd like. Uh, certainly, uh, if you are a, a music podcaster like I am, you're going to want to be a part of AMP. Uh, and uh, if not, uh, just know that um, as a listener, uh, th th this is a great thing for all of us. Um, you know, we've we've kind of been playing. Oh, you know, out in the wild west uh, with uh, with music. We've been doing this for a long time, as you know. Uh, we we're in a good spot, being that uh, you know we we're we're music education and commentary. So uh, you know, we we we've always felt like we were doing a solid to uh, the rights holders themselves. But um, at the same time, um, if we can work a solution, a two-way solution, by the way, uh, that works for both the holder, right, rights holders and the creators, then this is great for everybody and um, uh, will allow a lot more music podcasting out there. And that's what we want to see. All right. So that's the big news that I've got for you. October 29th at 2.30 Pacific time uh, if you register uh, for podcast movement. Um, so there you go. All right. That, that's all I got this week. Let's get to it. Are you ready for a show? I was chilling in the shadow. All right, with me today is a, a truly a radio legend, uh, Lee Abrams. Um, Lee uh, started off as a radio DJ, um, and uh, I think at 17, if I remember right, and he pioneered this audience research uh, solution called uh, psychographics, you know, connecting people's lifestyles to their listening habits. Uh, that was his first great claim to fame. And of course, uh, you know, to the ire of some, 
um, but probably to the benefit of most. He modified the album-oriented rock music format, or AOR, from the you know loose DJ freeform style to a much tighter form using playlists rather than just allowing the DJs to play whatever they wanted. Uh, this followed the evolution in the late 60s into the 70s from a music industry that was focused on singles to, to albums. And sometimes, you know, they uh, were able to uh, dive deep into uh, playlists. You know, let's let's say he kind of created the first iterations and uh, subsequently later generations um, maybe turned it into a, a bit of a monster. But I, I wouldn't call that Lee's fault. I think what Lee did in those early days was actually a good thing for the industry and helped to make you know rock and roll, especially such such big business, uh, certainly in the 90s. 1970s. He has gone on to do a quite an extraordinary amount of things in his life. He's worked in print. I think he worked for the Chicago Tribune for a while. He worked in TV. Uh, I believe you'll find that uh, in our discussion, he actually was, was actually involved in the process of creating MTV from a small sense. And now he has a new consultancy firm called Lee Abrams Media Visions, where uh, he'll work with, uh, gosh, just about anybody in media, including podcasting. He's been a consultant for over 1,000 radio stations, 12 major print publications, numerous TV stations and cable networks. Uh, and, of course, most uh, one of the most important things, helped in the creation of the XM satellite radio programming in its very early days. This is very exciting for us to have Leon to talk about, you know, this new moment that we're in. I think uh, he agrees with me that radio is uh, is a dinosaur. Uh, we might disagree on why that is, although we get into a discussion about it. And I think he understood my point that, uh, you know, radio lost its uh, geographic expertise by becoming, you know, really just a national set of companies. Uh, you know, I think there's two or three that own about 90% of the radio stations these days. And, you know, now you lose the local flavor. And without the local flavor, you don't have anything bubbling up from the bottom. You have it strictly from the top down. And that's just regurgitating the, the same old tastes over and over again. You know, a lot of people complain about, uh, you know, the state of music and uh, certainly the state of radio. And I think a lot of it has to do with that. I, th I think Lee has a more nuanced uh, version uh, of that, uh, he being a far greater expert than me. Uh, and uh, we get into that. So it, it's a fun discussion. I think you guys are really going to enjoy this and you are going to take away from it a lot of knowledge that you uh, probably didn't have before uh, before the talk. All right. So let's get into it. Let's talk to radio legend Lee Abrams. I feel a hot wind on my shoulder and the touch of the world that is older. I turn the switch and check the number. I leave it on when in bed I slumber. I hear the rhythms of the music by the product that never uses. I hear the talk Welcome to Deeper Digs, Lee Abrams. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Great to be here. 
So, I, I, you know, obviously it's, it's pretty much the first question I ask any of our guests and, you know, how are you holding up during the, what is apparently or appears to be the greatest crisis uh, that Americans have faced since World War II? Yeah, you know, getting by, it's, um, it's in many respects a, uh, you know, like the late 60s were, as far as turbulence, of course, it's magnified a thousand times. But yeah, we, we have race, race riots of the 60s. We have the Great Depression of the 30s. We have uh, a pandemic of 1918. Um, uh, and uh, I, I don't know, uh, with the fires and the traumatic weather, um, I, that's just biblical. Yeah, well, I think uh, just maintaining a positive uh, spiritual attitude toward things. And uh, usually out of these crises, there's some, uh, some good that happens socially and uh, hopefully in media too and other areas so i'm uh i'm getting by now but really excited about the future once this thing sort of mellows out yeah i mean you know how, how has the age of covid um if at all uh changed the radio satellite radio landscape um and and, and what do you think might be on the other side well, as far as the satellite, I don't think it's really affected them too much. Mm -hmm. They seem to be growing well, and, and uh, they are not that dependent on advertising, so uh, they're getting by fine. Terrestrial radio is in terrible shape. Uh, you know, they were in economic straits before all this happened, and now it's just made it so much worse. But I think um, they're from the crisis that's existing in terrestrial radio, I think there's a lot of opportunities because I think they're so off the creative uh, ball that uh, there are opportunities to bring back the magic of radio on 21st century terms and do very well with it. I don't think it'll happen on terrestrial radio because they're just, uh, they just got so many problems, so many issues. But mm -hmm. I see um, online, whether it's the Amazons, the Apples or the Spotify's or whoever else emerges, they're going to have the real potential to do some uh, amazing radio if they choose to. Yeah, we'll we'll dive deeper into this. So, you know, you spent virtually your entire life um, in radio. Uh, you've had some uh, forays into TV and print, uh, which we'll get to. Um, but my first big question has to be, you know, where is terrestrial radio today in the entertainment landscape? And will it survive into the next generation of listeners? Well, uh, first of all, I see um, a lot of people use it. You know, I guess I've heard the figure 92%. But uh, they're users, not fans. You don't see a lot of fans, other than the Howard Stearns and occasional personalities. Hmm. But you find very few fans of radio. So I think uh, there's real trouble in the lower end who's uh, really conditioned to streaming. I remember um, when we first started XM, we did some research and just to find out who our potential audience was. And uh, older people really dug the idea of, you know, all these great formats, commercial free and all that. Uh, younger people, though, were like, um, wait a minute, why would I subscribe to that? I mean, 100 channels of radio? Radio sucks. And that was 10, 10 plus years ago. Yeah, tw 20 that, years ago, yeah. 20, yeah. I think that's just gotten worse uh, as far as the young end. So mm -hmm. I think um, the real... Now, I'm not sure anybody under 30 actually listens to terrestrial radio unless they're forced into it. Yeah, or it's, again, it's like the electric company. It's there, you turn on the switch, you're not a fan of it. But, uh, you know, it's background noise. But well, we live in it. 
I'm sorry. Yeah, well, we live in an age of, you know, on demand. And, uh, you know, uh, the youth of today, you know, just they pick up their device and say, I want this. And that's what's delivered to them immediately. Right. I don't think we're a terrestrial radio will go away. I think it's on a slow decline. And it's a piece of the, uh, the listening uh, pie will just continue to decrease. Get smaller and smaller. It's smaller and smaller. But again, it's not going to be all of a sudden one day it's gone. It'll, it'll be around. Uh, mm-hmm. It's again, it's everywhere. Everybody has a radio pretty much. So um, I think um, the opportunity is in uh, reinventing it uh, because as it stands right now, I don't think you can put band-aids on it and uh, hope all of a sudden it's magical again. Well, let's see if we can reinvent it today. So okay, I, I, I think it's fair to say that radio's had two golden eras. Uh, in the past, the original 1920s to maybe 1950, uh, and again in the 1970s uh, and 80s, which you helped pioneer. Um, you know, so, you know, I think you would agree that we are entering into a new golden age of audio-centric entertainment. Oh, absolutely. And uh, again, it's just uh, not necessarily happening on uh, terrestrial radio, but mm-hmm. there is a, uh, a renaissance going on with technology and the uh, whole new mainstream of, uh, of listeners. And, uh, you know, the problem with uh, terrestrial is they're just living in some 80s focus group hell. Uh, <laughs> well, that, you kind of helped invent in some ways, but yes, you left that a long time ago and maybe they should have continued to innovate, huh? Yeah, uh, particularly now. It's so competitive out there with satellites and streamers. They should be on creative steroids. And instead, they're on autopilot. I mean, mm-hmm. you still hear things like, you know, two for Tuesdays and uh, block party weekends and stations have a van. And, yeah. you know, that was very The 500 cool. greatest rock tracks of all time. All right. Oh, yeah. Over Memorial of, Day weekend. Right, right. And a lot of, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and a, a lot of, uh, they've become cliches. They're very innovative at the time. But, again, that was 50 years ago. Um, so it, uh, you know, at a time when they need to be, uh, or radio needs to be whatever medium it comes from, needs to be on creative, you know, steroids, mm-hmm. it's on autopilot. And, uh, you know, just uh, we can go on and on about the reasons for it, but uh, that's well, the I think, I think I think they forget their strengths. I, I've, I've thought about this uh, quite a bit. Uh, over the years. And, you know, the strength of the signal itself is geographically limited. So that makes it right. local. And I think the big mistake was trying to nationalize, um, you know, playlists uh, and radio stations uh, that, uh, you know, mostly we can attribute to Cumulus and, and Infinity uh, doing in the, in the 1990s. Well, I think it's, uh, I think national can work as it does with satellite and certainly Howard Stern. Mm-hmm. and others but um it's just generic you know they're just uh it's i remember driving when i was a kid from chicago to florida on like holiday and you drive through indianapolis louisville atlanta nashville jacksonville and finally get to south florida and every market sounded different you know d- different slogans different voices a different local accent and now you make that same trip and it's all homogenized there's absolutely no local vibe to it. But I think you can have a national vibe, but, um, uh, you know, that doesn't mean generic and cookie cutter and vanilla, which is what it is. Um, 
I think you know what they lost is uh, the the rock, regardless of format, sort of rock and roll thinking. Um, you know where it was eccentric all the way to the bank. Uh, innovation was the big driver. Authenticity. Authenticity, mm -hmm. swagger, yeah. big mass appeal, the desire to reinvent, creating fans, not users, artful, you know, um, and uh, rebellious, intelligent, non-elitist, you know, all these things that, that, you know, guys like Bob Dylan are all about. Uh, they forgot that, that mindset and they're now just very financially driven if you look back historically bankers we can blame bankers. it on bankers <laughs> well you know the stars of radio accountants <laughs> stars of radio in the 50s were the djs alan freight the pds yeah 70s was consultants the 80s researchers yeah. 90s group heads and the oos you know it's bankers and uh i think the next generation of stars are going to again be online and not uh not in the terrestrial world yeah, I, I think, it, it, you know, uh, uh, you know, thinking about it myself and putting some effort into it and research, um, you know, uh, with the advent of podcasting uh, and uh, playlists, Spotify, so on and so forth, um, you know, unless terrestrial radio recognizes its one strength, which is that it is ubiquitous, uh, like you said, 90 plus percent of people have access to a radio, and then it realizes that it is local. Uh, and I mean, not just local stories, but, you know, for example, in this COVID uh, uh, era that we're having to face, and, and I know you're a musician, we'll talk about that in a second, you came up from that, uh, uh, from a cover band, I, I love the idea that you were just trying Trying to poll uh, your uh, your audience to figure out what were the best songs to play. <laughs> I, I need to start doing that. I'm gonna tell my band members that's how we're gonna do it from now on to determine song choice. Um, but the the fact is is that that you know we're 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 seeing a lot of the music industry the music industry itself is going through one of the worst periods of its history because we're unable to go together into a live uh, setting and yeah. enjoy a concert. So, and that has been the primary driver for music for the, at least the last 10 years, if not the last 20 years, right. uh, as opposed to the recorded side of things. But again, it all starts from the ground up. And if you don't have, you know, the radio stations, and, and you know, you, you mentioned your trips from uh, Chicago down to Florida and, and bypassing through those geographic areas and, and the change in, in the, the manner and the feel, the, the, the tone of voice, the speaking, the, the playlists, the, the the interests of that community if those aren't taken into consideration then what's the point of having a local radio station if they can't look back and say and i'm just speaking musically and that's mostly what we'll talk about today if we can musically say this has to be local where, where are those local bands that you know come up through the ranks that then end up being uh you know the next beatles because they put that ten thousand hours in uh as opposed to you know a pre-packaged formulated um you know pop princess uh as uh, you know to replace the one that's you know getting to be a little long in the tooth yeah mcdonald's rock uh right yeah, it's it's everywhere. Uh, it's um, you know we had musical revolutions in the late fifties, sixty four, sixty nine, seventy nine, etc. And every time uh, you know the old wave hit a brick wall, there was a new exciting sound that moved culture that uh, just really 
reinvented everything, the recording process, the writing, and uh, waiting for that to happen. Because right now, we sort of are in the era of disposable artists who are driven by fashion. Oh, it's all consumerism. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. Um, I'd love to see somebody step out. Well, I think, and I think that's where something, where terrestrial radio, if it, you know, focused on its navel and uh, in, in itself in, in, in its local geographic area, um, could help to develop those uh, those acts for the future. Yeah, and uh, there are even a lot of acts that are, like, I just when Tools album came out last year, uh, you know, I could, couldn't find that anywhere on the radio. And it was like debuted at number one and, you know, millions of downloads and everything else. Oh, Lefsetz yeah. just talked about this yesterday in his uh, newsletter about the Bruce Springsteen album. Oh, yeah. That's, great that's Bruce Springsteen, and nobody knows it's really coming out and what it's, it's you know. It's sad. It, it, isn't that weird? It's just really weird. It's really weird. And uh, and, and again, it, it, I, I would be okay if Bruce was replaced by, I don't know, uh, you know, the hip-hop act of the world today you know the the next run dmc or or uh, you know or or tupac or uh, I'm, I'm 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 trying not to age myself here uh you That's know okay. or, or or the amigos okay uh you know kendrick lamar okay who, who are great artists but they, it's just a flash in the pan it's like they show up and then boom they're they're they've been replaced on the shelves with the the next model yeah no absolutely it's uh it's a crazy time, and it was like that in previous sort of musical lulls, you know, in the uh, really in the mid '60s, while there was an underground happening. There were also a lot of disposable bands, and certainly yeah, in the mid '70s. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I think hopefully it's just an era. Right now, labels and moguls are in charge. Got to get back to where the artists are in control. And I doubt if anybody told Jimi Hendrix that his record needs to be three and a half minutes long. <laughs> and get a haircut. Right. Well, yeah, I I think there's, you make a good point is that there was this period when, you know, the old guard kind of went, wow, we're not quite sure what to do here. Let's let the youngsters take over and see what happens. And, and that's created revolution. Yeah. And some of those artists, you know, cut through and, you know, became timeless, but a lot of them, boy, brick wall. When 69 came along, you know, it was really all over for Paul Revere and the Raiders and Tommy James and the Shondells and all Herman's those, uh, Hermits and Herman's yeah, Her- you know, yeah just, the association. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It uh, it got, music gets harder. Uh, you know, uh, well, socially and culturally, we we get a little harder. Uh, and uh, you know, music uh, tends to reflect uh, society and you know, vice versa. Uh, yeah, and there's certainly a lot to reflect right now. I'm really surprised there isn't more music that reflects this crazy era we're in, like there was in the late 60s. I mean, the music was a soundtrack of the of the whole new mainstream. You don't see that now as much. I mean, it's probably there, but it's certainly not getting exposed. Here's a quick word from our sponsors. We'll be back in a bit. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. 
With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode. Available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. And now back to the program. Now, uh, you know, a lot of people ask me, uh, you know, well, okay, so, you know, the rock and roll era is over. You know, what's replaced it? What, it, what, what, it, what, is, what is the, the, the touchstone for the youth of today? What is the, the thing that is, you know, that, that, that is their community, their language? And I say it's not music at all. It's social media. It's uh, in you yeah, know, music. I, I think music had a, you know, a, a really, really interesting time in our, our lives um, uh, that uh, hadn't happened before. Uh, you know, you, you know, you know, you, if you go back and you look at the great classical composers, uh, while they did okay, they weren't flying around in jets. Uh, they were still, you know, um, uh, usually associated with a rich person, a, a patron who, you know, uh, took care of them as they made their art. And that art was specifically made for those patrons, the, 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 the rich and the elite. Whereas when we get into the rock and roll era, this is music that is made for the people, by the people, yeah, you know, it's, it's very American, uh, you know, it's, uh, and, and I'm not sure if we live in that world. And I mean, I think we both agree that, you know, the, the 20th century has come to a close. I'm not sure the 21st century, as we'll know it, has completely formed yet. Um, just as the 20th century, you wouldn't say that in, in 1920. Uh, it's not until the latter half of the, of the century do we, do we recognize it as the right, 20th century. True. So, and I, I think, I think we're, we're in this, you know, revolutionary period, the storming period of, uh, of innovation that, um, you know, will change society and cu culture. And, and I, I hope music uh, is a big part of it. Um, so let's get the Lee Abrams superhero story, the origin <laughs> story here. How did you become one of the most important figures ever in radio? Well, <laughs> um, it all started really back around 65. I was 13 or so at the time. And I was managing rock bands around Chicago. And as we at 13? Yeah. Wow. Really start. And uh, all the bands played Little Latin, Limpy Little Midnight Hour, Louie Louie. And we wondered, is this really what people want to hear? And so we did the questionnaires outside of the sock hops and VFW halls, asking, you know, what would you like this band to play next week? And discovered a very critical thing, and that was that a lot of guys, mainly, you know, 14 to 18 range, were saying, uh, don't play that WLS crap. We want to hear the animals and the stones and the Beatles. And 
it wasn't called progressive rock or album rock or anything at that time, but it was a certain sound. And uh, that was represented the first time the top 40 audience started to fragment. You know, mm -hmm. 1960, uh, mom and dad would tolerate Hey Paula and the kid and the uh, sister would uh, probably like it and buy the record. But by 1965 or so, that audience was starting to fragment. And uh, we really followed this. Uh, and in 1966 and seven, if you were really in the know, you heard of Cream and Jimi Hendrix. And if you were really in the know, you knew the Grand Bond organization. And 68 got bigger, 69, all hell broke loose. Cultural revolution, musical revolution, all kinds of revolutions going on. And so at that point, uh, started creating a format which was geared to reach vulnerable top 40 listeners. These were people who listened to Top 40 and liked every fourth song. They liked Santana, they liked uh, Stones, they liked uh, Moody Blues when it came up. They really couldn't handle 1910 Fruit Gum Company and the, the Ohio Players and all this stuff that uh, made up the bulk of the playlist. So I thought, well, let's create a format that plays just these artists uh, and changes the familiarity, familiarity factor from title which is what made top 40, you know, every song, yeah. the artist. So you could play, take Santana instead of Black Magic Woman and Oyo Komova, we could play their whole, almost their whole catalog. And mm -hmm. the reaction was, you'd hear it and go, uh, well, that's Santana, but wow, I haven't heard that one before. So it was still familiar, but it had depth. And the idea was uh, to be as commercial as possible without losing the progressive identity. And, um, Sent around a lot of proposals for this new thing. And again, I was just a kid, you know, still in high school. And um, when I got out of high school, uh, there was a radio station, that call, uh, actually a big broadcast group, Bartel Broadcasting. They called and said, uh, okay, we're launching a top 40 station in Miami. Uh, it's not your format, but, you know, would you be interested? And I said, yeah, sure. <laughs> you know, you kidding? And so... Um, I actually remember the first time I met those guys. They called me and said, can you meet us at the station? And I said, yeah. And uh, I got a haircut and put on a suit. And they must have thought I was a narc because it was dealing with they, these guys look like a grateful dad. <laughs> right. So um, anyway, you know, they were a little suspicious and said, hey, want to get high? So we got high and sat <laughs> in a, uh, in a um, their hotel room. And, um, and uh, really, really just, drove around Miami brainstorming. And by the end of the day, they gave me a, uh, they gave me a job. They said, when can you start? I said, tomorrow. And then about a year into that, uh, another presentation that I had sent out was to ABC, who was starting to do some album rock programming. And they wondered, uh, do you want to go to Detroit and be our program director? So we had a bunch of meetings. And I took that job uh, in Detroit in 1971 at WRIF. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't my format. It was the ABC format. But one day, uh, the afternoon guy on our sister station, WXYZ, a guy named Dan Anderson, uh, comes by my office and said, uh, you know, I got this uh, good friend of mine in Raleigh, North Carolina, has a big AM and a huge 100,000-watt FM. AM is, you know, the big middle-of-the-road station. Doesn't know what to do with his FM, but you know, sees the possibilities. Would you have dinner with him? Sure. So uh, he flies in, uh, this guy, uh, Carl Venters, who was the uh, general manager of this Raleigh station, 
And by dessert, we had a deal done. And uh, when I went on a weekend, put it on the air, and instantly it became like, it was a great market, but it became number one. Got a lot of press, and ABC comes to me and says, wait a minute, you can't do that. It's either us or them. So it was a time of Nixon's wage freeze, and I really wanted to do sort of my format. And so I said, well, you know, I, I love you guys, but I'm going to go with uh, Raleigh. And uh, went to Raleigh and uh, did that station exclusively. Later found another client uh, in New Orleans, WRNO. That went to number one. And I was, again, 19 at the time, didn't have much uh, business acumen. But I knew a guy who I'd met at, like, billboard conventions uh, named Kent Burkhart, who was yeah, uh, yeah. very Your successful. Partner. Yeah, mm -hmm. he was a very successful mm -hmm. AM guy. Mm -hmm. He was old. You know, he was, like, 40. And uh, I just called him and sent him a proposal and said, you know, you got these AMs. I got this FM thing. Maybe we ought to get together. He said, you know, yeah, kid, great idea. <laughs> and uh, so we met in Minneapolis at his client station, KSTP. And 45 minutes, we put a deal together. And I uh, couldn't ask him to move to Chicago, where I was at the time, and bring his, you know, two dogs, three kids, and big house. So I just got my guitar and, um, and briefcase and moved to Atlanta. And it really took off then. A um, couple things happened. One was our success in Raleigh and New Orleans were getting noticed. Mm -hmm. And a lot of companies started calling and saying, can you do that for us? And with Kent's business skills and connections, we were signing him just right and left. Uh, so many clients and we were kind of like wishing They'd stop, but they didn't, and it was great. And uh, throughout the 70s, I mean, we just cruised market after market, dominant, very mm -hmm. few failures, if any. And um, then uh, 1980s came along, and it was just amazing. Launched some new formats, including the KFOG. And um, then uh, also did some uh, – we had a record company where we had uh, – uh, uh, Dave Mason and Johnny Winter and a big record by Eric Johnson and we're consulting a lot of projects, products, Rolling Stone and a bunch of others and we're early on yeah, we'll talk about these consultants and yeah and um, then I kind of got burned out uh, just the travel was you know seven days a week for you know, 15 years or whatever and so I left there to go to uh, oh, you're getting ahead of me. You're getting ahead of me. We got to slow down. We got to slow you down here. So, so tell me first about better ideas for better stations. The newsletter. Oh yeah, that was about 1965. And living in Chicago, I would listen to radio stations from around the country, collected air checks, tapes of stations, and um, there were all these great ideas stations were doing. And basically, I just combined them into a newsletter, and uh, here's what's going on around the country, and threw in a few of my own ideas, and sent out the newsletter. You know, it was like fifty dollars a year, which basically covered you know postage and, and Xerox or yeah. mimeographing. And um, yeah, that was really my start as a, <laughs> right, as a right. consultant. Uh, I was like, I was fourteen at the time, so I didn't have much. Uh, um, much business sense to take it further, but it was a, 
was uh, a fun run. If I were years, that industrious when I were 14, I, I might be much further along in my career path, uh, like, like yourself. Um, and then you also develop something that uh, the, I, I want our diggers to know about, and that's psychographics as a tool for programming. How long did it take you to develop that idea, and how did you do it? Well, it all started, uh, really, we were doing things, a uh, couple things, is real street-level research. One was hitchhiking studies. Couldn't do that anymore. But back then, I'd leave at 9 in the morning and try to come back close to my home by 5 and uh, study in-car listening habits. And also, we wait, did wait a minute. How did you do the study? No, you said the, the hitchhiking method. Was it literally picking up hitchhikers and asking them, hey, what do you think of this station? Uh, what do you think of no, that station? Uh, they, they picked, oh, you, yeah, would no, they just, picked you would hitchhike, back then it was a, get in the car, and start yeah. asking questions about their listening habits. And just observe them. Uh, little things like. Uh, yeah, Lee, in, you couldn't do that uh, today. Radio. They'd think you were a serial killer or something like that. <laughs> no, no, that was, uh, that was fine then, but not now. But uh, you discover things like, um, you know, in radio, uh, DJs would be very proud of themselves if they talked up the record, kept talking during the intro, and stopped the vocal right he when came the in. Right, uh, right. singing started. <laughs> People hated that. Like, what the fuck? You know, play the goddamn song. I agree. Song. <laughs> Annoying. Uh, yeah. You're not yeah. the star, buddy. <laughs> yeah, I know. And then those uh, callback cards where um, everybody or people who bought a record at a given record store, we had a lot of them, fill out their name, age, phone number, record they bought, put it in a box. We collect the box all uh, with all these cards representing people who bought records. We call them back. Um, Okay, you bought this record, you know, what stations do you listen mm -hmm. to, what tracks do you like, etc. And uh, through that, and also just observing ratings, um, radio was based on demographics, 18 to 34, 35, 44, all that. And we took somebody who was like 30, but there were so many different types of people. One 30-year-old thought, uh, you know, mm. Jethro Tull was God. Another thirty-year-old uh, like country music. Uh, like this is where you're getting your X and Y axis. Another thirty-year-old. Mm -hmm. Yes, another thirty-year-old um, would think that uh, you know they just liked it mellow, anything too hard. And so, meanwhile, everybody's looking at eighteen to thirty-four, for example, as one demographic. We just broke it down into I think four different four different types. Is that right? Targeting. Uh, that's what it is now. Back then, it was uh, a little more specific. Uh, there are probably about 10 different types. Uh, right now, that psychographic chart I did is real big picture. I mean, it's, uh, but it's still based on the uh, breaking an audience into lifestyles rather. Yeah, than explain that a little bit uh, to our listeners' uh, lifestyles and, and what those four uh, quadrants are about. Yeah, it's... Um, well, you, you look at uh, the way we broke it out recently is um, it's sort of a big picture as far as ages are concerned. But the uh, people who are um, digitally savvy and then there are people who are, you know, from the analog generation, still have phones and computers, but they're mm -hmm. not rooted in digital. And then we have uh, culturally sophisticated and uh, 
cultural unsophisticated. That doesn't mean dumb. It just means they're not. They don't really care about uh, the latest, latest cool greatest cultural innovations or change in society. They, they're more true, more, maybe yeah. more traditional right. in their thinking. Mm. Totally. And um, when we broke it out, we looked at like, say, people uh, older, uh, 30 or 40 and over. Uh, you got one type. Uh, that is culturally sophisticated, but comes from the analog generation. And uh, they're the ones who NPR, read the Sunday New York like Times, they, mm. NPR. They listen to music, but more as an environment ah. rather than crank it up. Um, though they're experimental in uh, food, cuisine. Um, they're generally, uh, again, NPR is a, a good example of that. Then there are other examples, but then you look at the culturally unsophisticated uh, people who are uh, analog, and that's the you know the Fox News crowd. They love country music. Uh, they go to fast foods and uh, always looking for bargains. They believe Publishers Clearinghouse really Bring them is going to select <laughs> them. Over five million dollars. <laughs> right, and they're, they're not stupid. They're just not that yeah. culturally sophisticated. So, and we look at that, those mm -hmm. quadrants for different, uh, different age, age yeah. groups, but that's one example. And um, so if we're going after, um, uh, for example, this format of creating now, uh, goes after that um, culturally sophisticated, but analog crowd might still have a record player, or at least know how to use it. And... Uh, you know, it helps. And that's, that's your, that's your radio free and earth initiative. Is that, uh, is that right? Mm -hmm. So yeah, tell us, tell exactly. us about that. So, so that came yes. out of this, uh, taking the, the psychographics that you've been doing for almost 50 years uh, and honing it into yeah. a, a modern it was uh, a, format. Uh, is that right? A combination of that and just the existing environment in radio. Uh, you talk to these people and, uh, you know, they go to see McCartney, they go see the Eagles, uh, they're music fans, but, uh, they listen to news radio and NPR because there's absolutely nothing for them on the radio. And this, uh, this, uh, format will have several characteristics, kind of, uh, expertly programmed music that's very deep and kind of addictive. Um, it's conducive to environmental listening rather than in your face. It has presenters that balance conversationalism with integrity and strong musical knowledge. Um, theater of the mind sound to where there's magic between the songs. It really takes you on a, on a trip. Um, a lot of daily features that will turn into long-term channel trademarks. These are ones that, you know, again, there's two for Tuesdays and block party weekends and, and all that. This is the next generation of those things. Um, it will be, you know, geared to be the last word in the genre's music, the go-to channel for everything that touches the genres. Um, and it has the perception of being exploratory and experimental, uh, and not just another corporate cookie-cutter format. Uh, we call it high IQ, low BS, to where it's really intelligent and just completely devoid of, you know, we rock hard. Everybody is. Bullshit. <laughs> and... We want to fully engage uh -huh. the artist community. Uh, and the new Springsteen's a great example. That album would be celebrated. It's like, you know, you like Springsteen? No, you know, no. We wouldn't just throw uh, it uh, in. Uh, you know, the new the Bob same. Dylan album that came out earlier this year. 
things like that. Uh, they, no, there's still no, some very no, no, good music that's being made, even by you know who we might consider grandpa and grandma uh, out there. But uh, you know, th they they came from that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they came timeless, out of though. that revolutionary period that we talked about from 50 years ago, uh, and, and and those that oh, have absolutely. been able to you know curate a, a long-term 50-year career have done so by reinventing themselves over and over again and constantly being creative. And those names that I just mentioned are, you know, probably near the top of, uh, of Yeah, one thing we found is the music people like between 16 and 20 is basically yeah. the sound you like for yeah. life. Um, you know, before 16, whoever's mm -hmm. fashionable, whoever's cool, fine. And, uh, but over 20, you get into your adult years and your roots are pretty well set in that, uh, what you're into 16 mm -hmm. to 20. Still exploring, mm -hmm. still looking for new stuff as long as it's mm -hmm. sort of rooted there. There used to be this myth that um, demographics in, for advertising and radio were broken on 18 to 24 and 25 to 34. There were actually people who believed that uh, somebody's 24 really into, you know, Genesis and Cream and all that. But on their 21st birthday, 25th birthday, they wake up and go, where's the needle diamond? I'm 25 to 34 now. You no, never you know, and I, I do want to give you the, the opportunity to, to, you're not just a consultant, uh, a music corporate uh, a money chaser. Um, this all stems from passion. You you have a, an, a very deep love of, of music and you have maintained that through all of these um, these innovations and suggestions, uh, format changes that you've done over your your career. So, so tell us what music has always meant to you. Oh, it's always been sort of the soundtrack of my life. It uh, takes me on journeys. Um, so I, I kind of like the, you know, a lot of the music just takes you places, and uh, whether it's. Uh, you know, the south side of Chicago, you know, urban Urbania, or just to, you know, Venus and beyond. So I'm really into the whole you know, theater of the mm -hmm. mind aspect, where mm -hmm. music sort of takes you. Yeah, I, and, I, looking um, deeper into some yeah, of your interests, I noticed that, that you, you mentioned Genesis. Uh, I think you're a big Yes fan as well. Uh, and, Huge, so yeah, yes, close to the edge. Stuff. I mean, you want to talk about a a, a twenty two minute song that will take you places in your mind, uh, without drug oh. enhancement even. Yeah. Uh, put that sucker on. Huh? <laughs> oh God, the Yes album, Fragile and Close to the Edge, particularly. I still listen to them. I mean, they're uh, just masterpieces, and they're getting rediscovered. I like on uh, on YouTube. You see, you know, college students discover Yes and get their comments and they're like holy yeah. shit oh, how, how about those twins uh that um uh did uh, they 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 listened to in the air tonight by phil collins remember from genesis for the first oh, time yeah. and example. they got so many views that it actually caused that song a 40 year old song to be pushed into the top 10 uh again isn't that crazy I know. I saw well, I, I think it just proves that, you know, quality music, if done well uh, and undone authentic, authentically, is timeless. Well, 
sure is. And uh, I still, you know, like listening to country music from the, you know, the 40s and 50s. So some of the yeah, like the old the old like Carter family and cool uh, today. Uh, yeah, and uh, long gone lonesome yeah, blues yeah, and sounds yeah, like yeah. that. So the, the first big thing that you're known for is changing freeform FM into something more corporatized or manageable programming. Uh, and the first being AOR, our right. album oriented rock, right? Yeah. Yeah. Our album rock. Um, yeah. And again, the intention was never, I like those underground stations and the intention was never to, um, you know, take, put them out of business. It was that, uh, they were here, you know, in a certain place musically. And uh, meanwhile, there was a whole audience that really didn't relate to them because uh, they were just a little too out there. And uh, we said, well, let's go after them. They're uh, uncontested. There's a shitload of them. And uh, that was our focus. And again, well, I think a lot of the progressive stations kind of shot themselves in the foot through, um, oh, just... Uh, kind of arrogance and, uh, and you know if it was raining you'd hear rain songs the afternoon guy didn't like uh, you know the, uh, Pink Floyd they wouldn't play it mm -hmm. lack of discipline um, but uh, you know they those stations were certainly relevant and our intention wasn't to destroy them other than to uh, take advantage of this big mainstream that was out there that wasn't uh, wasn't really well, getting you know you you know, how did you know that was the key to the future of, of radio programming? Because, you know, you're saying this is 1971, 70, 70, 71. And, you know, I think uh, first thought that comes to me is like, well, that's, that's right up Led Zeppelin's alley. I mean, Led Zeppelin literally went out and said, no fucking singles. This is, you, you take the album as is and, uh, you know, and, 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 and don't cut right. the songs. Although they, 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 they did get, uh, they did get a whole lot of love uh, into an AM cut, uh, which is an interesting story in itself. But yeah, uh, the, the reality is, is that you started having these bands that, you know, the, the album was the art. And that was what was meant to be presented. And then, then, it, then you can find your own favorite tracks from there. But then you took that and were able to mine that into a programming feature. Yeah, um, yeah. We just again saw that uh, audience and delivered what we thought, or in some cases knew, they wanted, and just were ultra fo razor focused on. Mm -hmm. uh, and this was this was them. across the board, not and, just the DJs. Uh, I mean, how 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 the receptionist answered the phone, uh, the logos, everything. You you went yeah, in we called, and like rebuilt the station from the bottom up. Yeah, we called it completeness. That's where everything from the logo to, as you say, the, the, the vibe of the receptionist, to the style of the jocks, to the, uh, the way it looked, felt, and, and sounded, you know, in, on the speakers and on the streets. Mm -hmm. And uh, that completeness is just real important. There were some stations that tried um, kind of a commercial album rock thing, but they weren't complete. You know, they might have DJs that were still kind of pukers, or they might have a real corporate logo or they might, uh, you know, just do things that were out of sync with where they should be. But uh, yeah, completeness is very important in everything. Um, I mean, I, I love Apple in that they're so complete. Everything they touch has a certain look and feel to it. 
Oh yeah, yeah. In, so, in some ways, that's what they're mostly known for is their industrial design and uh, oh yeah, and the uh, you know the look and feel, which you know immediately you recognize uh, as Apple, as if you know Jimi Hendrix were to play three notes, and you'd go, oh, that's Jimi Hendrix. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, trademarks. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's face it, Jobs does come out of uh, that revolutionary period as well. And uh, sure just, just, he, he's a rock star in a different world or was a rock star in a, in a different. Oh, world. yeah. No doubt about that. He uh, lived uh, he th- lived with rock and roll thinking in his DNA. for sure. Yeah. 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 We, we need to see more of that. Uh, yes, I, I think we've seen some uh, recently. But uh, so th- did the AOR format then get honed into what was called superstars? Uh, yeah, that was actually and we never use it on the air. But we needed a handle for, you know, the companies that own these stations. You know, what is it? Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you call it? Oh, superstars. And, you know, it rang true. These guys were generally not music fanatics. They were, you know, corporate types who owned stations. Uh, it might have been music fans. But, yeah, they needed a, a handle, you know, what to call it. And, uh, again, never on the air, but in promotional literature and, you know, to the industry, that's what it was. Mm-hmm. And then from there, you created uh, Adult Contemporary, uh, uh, and I think that started here in San Francisco with KFOG, is that right? Oh, KFOG, yeah, I guess uh, maybe it's uh, uh, more alternative, album alternative, uh, but yeah, that was, uh, we saw an audience split around, uh, oh, 1980, I guess, and, uh, you know, a lot of people really wanted to hear, you know, Ted Nugent and Hart and Foreigner and Sticks and Kansas. But there were a lot of people a little older at the time who were much more into Joni Mitchell and uh, Crosby, Stills and Nash. And oh, they Steve wanted to hear the soundtrack of The Big Chill. Yeah, exactly. So that's what that format was. And that was kind of a you know, similar to what we're trying to do with this new format. It was a real reinvention. Blew up the playbook from jock style to all the features, you know, the psychedelic suppers and nine at nines. They were all brand new at the time for KFOG. And the music mix was uh, pretty adventurous for the time, but still disciplined. But um, that was a great station. And uh, they screwed it up over time because it was a very fragile kind of format that couldn't be, uh, had to be evolved properly, which was it done, huh? Ah, ah. What, 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 did, did that uh, format uh, cross the country like AOR did? Uh, no, as a matter of fact, elements of it did. Uh, KFOG was really the only station that, that did it in its purest form, but we learned a lot of things from KFOG and, and, and uh, integrated them into our existing stations. Mm-hmm. A lot of the features and a lot of the, um, the, uh, the look and sound of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then from there, you created uh, another format called Z-Rock. Yeah, Z-Rock was a blast. That was... Uh, Satellite delivered, and uh, we had uh, about 30 stations on it. Um, we did never had the big signals because those were owned by big corporations who weren't about at that time to give up one of their stations to a satellite service. So uh, now this this is we, pre-XM. This is like yeah. 1990. So you're 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 using a satellite to deliver uh, the content from a centralized location, I assume. Well, yeah, from Dallas, went up to a satellite, then it was picked up by local stations and rebroadcasted. Ah. And they would, uh, there was a silent tone that would trigger their commercials. 
So they can have a real high quality product uh, format and uh, really have just one person in the staff. So it, was, it wasn't geared to be economically uh, uh, prudent, but uh, it was for a lot of people. But that format was great. Uh, really proud of that one. We are great people. Again, we just blew up the playbook and created just an insane radio station. Yeah, much more metal-oriented. Uh, yeah, it was very Alternative metal, yeah. rock and things like that. Metallica was like mm. it. Yeah. And, I'm, and, you know, that was the... the well, it's a very run. dedicated fan base uh, oh, uh, God. over there. Oh, God. So, uh, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, you put out merchandise and they put it on their car. We had people with Z-Rock tattoos. It was a very culty, loyal audience. And it was a great, great experience. And of course, Disney bought it, bought the company. They didn't really care for it. <laughs> <laughs> I, it doesn't seem to fit their princess playbook very well, if you ask no, me. No. Uh, for first thought, um, uh, you know, uh, I mean, hell, they had a hard time uh, trying to digest uh, the Nightmare Before Christmas. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so I can imagine Metallica, Megadeth, and Black Sabbath. Um, probably didn't sit well so why did they buy the 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 format well they bought the whole company and we had uh ah. 10 formats most of them were pretty generic but xerox really stood out as a mm. you know a separate entity and uh well actually abc bought it then disney bought abc so uh it kind of got watered down when disney bought it but that's to be expected yeah, especially during the eisner uh era uh, yeah, might have been but, might have uh, been better off today, where they are definitely a little more adventurous. So. Good company, you know, great company, but oh, just yes. not the right thing for them. All right, so so demographic data is the key, uh, and and slicing and dicing it in in new ways is what I hear uh, you're you're constantly doing, which must have been a chore uh, to find back in the 1960s and 70s. What if you had the data mining tools of today back then? Yeah, it would probably be kind of scary. Uh, we might have data overkill. Because uh, back then, it was a balance of science and emotion, where everything started emotionally. Then we used the science, the data, just to see if we're full of shit or not. Uh, right now, there might be a tendency to over-rely on all the data because there's so much at the expense of the emotional part. Mm -hmm. So even with this new format, it's heavily emotionally driven. Uh, otherwise, if we just... Look at data. We could become paralyzed by it, and uh, oh, we become robotic. You you, you take yeah. out the human element, and uh, that becomes inauthentic. And you know, uh, you, you know, I you you mentioned uh, high IQ, low BS, uh, and the fact is, is you know, I I I I feel that way about this current generation of coming up. I I do have a twenty year old in college, so I you know I have a first hand knowledge of this, and what I see is yeah, these guys got the greatest bullshit detectors that I've ever seen. Oh, uh, it's, unbelievable. They, it's, it's like they're a bunch of 80 year old men, uh, you know, are like, ah, fuck you, get off my lawn. You know, uh, I, I yeah, know you better. You can't trick them. No. Radio loves to trick people, you know, home of the best variety. Bullshit, <laughs> best variety is on my, uh, my, oh, yeah, my yeah. playlist, right, right. Yeah. Right, right. right. so uh, yeah, and it, it works. Um, and, and, and I think that's just a human desire is, you know, a real emotional connection. And to your point, um, the data can drive you outside of that 
of uh, where you forget that you, you're you're making an emotional connection. First of all, you're talking about music, which you know is, right. is the most emotionally connective art form there is. It's immediate. Uh, it sticks with you. It's the only art that you can literally, you know, read or play or see over and over and over and over again throughout your entire life and not be bored by it. Um, you know, I, uh, taste change and, and don't get me wrong, that sort of st stuff. But, you know, there's a song that you grew up with between 16 and 20 and uh, you hear when you're 50 years old and it'll bring tears to your eyes. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So we can't forget that that side of the equation is just as important as the data side. Yeah, it's that balance of science and emotion. That's, uh, that's that magical combination. Yeah, and we, I think, both agree that terrestrial uh, radio has certainly lost that. Oh, yeah, they're all about, uh, you know, they're under such financial pressures nowadays. It's all about bottom line research data and the whole emotional character has really been drained out of it mm -hmm. over the years. Mm -hmm. So, you know, some people, uh, you know, point to you uh, and uh, and say, ah, you know, he he's the one that started this ball rolling, which eventually led to, you know, a consolidation of two massive corporations, Cumulus and Infinity, uh, owning, you know, most of the radio stations in the, in the country. Um, but uh, all things have good and, and, and bad sides to them. Uh, and and, and I, I bring this question right up after talking about the balance between emotion and, and data, because that's what I see in your career is this is maintaining that and trying to find balance. And your job was to go in and set these people into the right path. Now, whether they stayed on that or not was up to them, right? Yeah, although we had, uh, you know, we we had a lot of uh, client conferences, constant communication, uh, both verbal on the phone and memos, and uh, and most of the program directors, you know, really grasped it and uh, ran with the ball, and and uh, you know kept kept it in sync. So would you have would you would you have done things differently knowing all that you know today? Um, that's a good question. Uh, probably not, not in the seventies in the eighties, um, possibly, uh, no, probably not. I mean, it just worked out great. And, um, the things, um, the style we had in the seventies was just right for the time. And then like XM, it was, we did a 180 degrees pretty much from the original sort of superstars idea. Yeah. And, but it was right at that time. So yeah, uh, let's, let's get into that. Again. Yeah. You, you had a chance to do it all over again with the invention of satellite radio uh, XM in the, the, I guess uh, 1998 is when you joined uh, XM, I think employee number one. Uh, yeah. Of course uh, uh, the satellite itself doesn't launch, I think until 2002. Is that right? Uh, uh, no, and, uh, I forgot when these satellites actually went up because we had a lot of, a lot of time when they were testing and all that. Uh, but we actually launched, we were supposed to launch on 9-11. Right. That didn't happen, 2001. Ended up launching in November of 2001. And um, it was great. We had three years to really, you know, hire amazing people. Uh, we did what are called boot camps, which were a series of, of sessions to just uh, get people to um, 
Rethink Radio, blow up the playbook and start over and do it the XM way. Mm -hmm. We built a cliche buzzer. Somebody comes up with a cliche, they got buzzed, three buzzers, <laughs> they're fired. And, um, you know, we, uh, it was really liberating for people because they got to do radio for the reason they got into it in the first place. Mm -hmm. uh, instead of just reading the liner cards and, you know, following some goofy dated format. And um, we had so many different types of music. Uh, I mean, we went the whole gamut. We had one channel which played the same 20 records over and over again, aimed at the 13-year-old. And um, then we had, you know, jam band channels and uh, one channel called Fine Tuning, which played everything from Peter Gabriel to classical and, and you know, country formats, bluegrass formats. So, it was an exciting time, but every one of those program directors went through the boot camps mm -hmm. and, uh, again, it liberated them. It sounded like, you know, re-education. That's horrible. No, they loved it. It was critical mm -hmm. to just free themselves and create, build a new playbook. So that was, a, that was a wonderful experience. We had, again, three years to really, you know, fine-tune it and practice it. So when, when we went on the air, uh, it was really that was great from the day one. So, so three years in the making. So, uh, you you brought the team in, and you then practiced and honed uh, for three years before before actually uh, releasing this, huh? Oh yeah, a lot of experimentation, a lot of uh, experimenting mainly in production techniques and sounds and things, and you know, built a logo company lo uh, format logo. And just really sort of uh, tried to educate the music community that they were coming. And mm -hmm. it, was a, it was great to have three years. We could have done it a lot less, but mm -hmm. that was a luxury. Oh, I can imagine. Uh, yeah, yeah. Normally in a corporate situation uh, with venture capitalism, uh, capital on the line, you don't get that sort of time to no. uh, prove your success or failures. Uh, it's uh, it's that that must have been a, a quite the luxury I can imagine. I was an early adopter of uh, of satellite radio. Uh, oh, good. And was a huge fan. Um, you know, because it it was uh, you know a little bit more you know, getting towards on demand. I mean, I could, oh, I want to hear 60s music. Well, there was a channel just for 60s yeah, music. Exactly. Or, you know, I want to hear, uh, you know, the hits of today. Uh, there was a channel just for that. Uh, you know, uh, not to mention, you know, the sports uh, opportunities and news opportunities that were uh, also available, you know, here at one place. One thing that did kind of concern me about, um, uh, about satellite radio was, you know, uh, terrestrial radio is free, um, you know, or at least it appears free to you. Uh, granted, your 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 through advertisement sponsorship, um, uh, which you know interrupts your your listening experience. And satellite radio, um, you know, refrained uh, from most of that, especially early on. In fact, I think they didn't have any commercials at uh, no, not on music channels. Yeah, and um, so, uh, but what it did do is it stratified that listening audience in the sense that, you know, uh, you know, uh, it was following America's stratification of class as well. We, we had gone from, you know, a period of, um, you know, uh, you know, the, the difference between uh, the average worker and the CEO was maybe 30 times to, uh, you know, the difference in uh, the income of the, the CEO and the worker was 400 times or, or worse, uh, even today. And, and for me, it seemed like satellite radio was like, mm, this is for the haves, 
and trust your radios for the have-nots. What, what do you think about that? Well, I mean, it cost uh, almost a billion dollars to put up those satellites and everything. So, uh, you know, from day one, I realized it's going to have to be uh, pay-oriented. And people were paying for cable and people mm-hmm. were paying for mm-hmm. other. Mm-hmm. So we really didn't think twice about it and tried to keep the rates pretty low mm-hmm. with a lot of uh, bargains. When you buy a car, you get it for free for several months. But um, it was just always just part of the game plan and realized some people wouldn't, uh, would prefer free and that's fine because there are enough people that were willing to spend the whatever it was, nine bucks at the time. Well, it was a, it was a hard sell. I, I don't think this this did not take off uh, like a rocket. Uh, metaphorically, it, li, li, literally, it did take off like a rocket. Metaphorically, it didn't take off like a rocket. No, uh, what really changed everything was the car companies coming on board. That was uh, yeah, was putting really them into uh, into their cars, especially in uh, the um, uh, the rental fleets, right? Oh, that was huge. Yeah, people could. Uh, check it out and uh, hopefully like it and sign up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm sure that happened a lot. Now, of course, the the biggest moment of all time with satellite radio was Howard Stern leaving uh, terrestrial radio and moving over to satellite. And uh, I understand that uh, you helped make that happen, although you weren't the winner in the, the process. No. About a year before, at least a year before he signed with uh, Sirius for the merger, uh, boy, we really romanced him. We had him come to Washington. We were just always going to his apartment, and and he was really into it. He wanted to do it. But basically, to make a long story short, our board didn't get it. There were a lot of uh, telecom guys, and you know, just said, that's too much money for like one person. Say no, it's all over. We had seventy percent of the market at the time, and it's all we win. Game over. And uh, as hard as I tried, and there were a lot of supporters in the building, just couldn't uh, couldn't get the, uh, the the board, the chairman, and the CEO, and all those people to to buy into it. And that's a shame because when Sirius got him, it was very depressing. Although it's great to see him on on board. Mm-hmm. So he did come over. Uh, he signed a massive, massive deal uh, yeah. that at, that at the time was questioned, uh, um, and I'm sure you know your your XM board members uh, you know helped the journalists uh, recognize that. Um, but but long term, that was worth every single penny, wasn't it? No doubt. I mean that was uh, certainly saved serious, and uh, you know really gave him a shot in the arm big time. And um, yeah, it was, uh, it was a major coup for them and for satellite radio in general. Mm. That really helped legitimize the whole thing to a lot of people. So now, did you think that um, the uh, merge between Sirius and XM was a good, a good thing for satellite radio? Personally, uh, no. I thought it would be better to have the two companies uh, – battling it out but that was above my pay grade and uh and uh as a result i think they've gotten a little more corporate in their sound and approach we were always a little more uh earthy i guess mm-hmm. but uh you know I'm, I'm a big fan of it and uh you know use it and hope they do continue to do great 
But well, me, uh, I would have preferred two companies. Yeah, or more. Uh, uh, yeah. But, you know, to your point, you know, launching a satellite, uh, you know, billion-dollar satellite's not cheap. Uh, oh, so God. You know, how, cheap about it. How, yeah, how many can you, can you get? Uh, yeah, we are talking space here. So uh, it's, and the it's FCC the final only, frontier. So. And there were only two license granted, so uh, us and Sirius. So uh, it would take a lot of governmental involvement to get another license freed up, so... Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah it's too bad uh it's too bad that it didn't grow so so they merged and and then now they've been bought by pandora uh, uh pandora they bought pandora or or yeah pandora's brought in i guess is their uh their podcast play uh, right and liberty media bought uh, a large piece and and I, liberty media is buying part of i or most of iheart and it's turning into quite an enterprise. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot, lot going on. So, all right, m- moving to something a little bit different. MTV's got a new documentary uh, on its origins. I don't know if you've had a chance to see it yet. No, I want to see that. I haven't seen it yet. But, but I didn't see your name associated with its beginnings, but I know you had an involvement in that. Yeah, I did, although I think their main uh, purpose of getting me on board was so I wouldn't go out and uh, sign another video uh, music company <laughs> <laughs> oh keep your uh, your friends close and your enemies closer huh yeah i think that was the main thing i mean i interacted with uh les garland and uh bob Pittman, and yeah. but uh you know it was really i think just to keep me away from uh starting one on our own because we had so many stations and so much you know uh, power at that time did you think that? Did you think to do that prior or afterwards? Uh, no, not really. Uh, we're just uh, really focused on on radio, uh-huh. and um, there was another company run by Ted Turner that I, I think um, he probably had it in mind, but um, MTV immediately bought him and put him out of business. Oh, the Viacom, yeah, yeah, they bought TNT, yeah, yeah, because yeah. you you had something to do with TNT as well. Yeah, I was working with Scott Sassa in the launch of that and spoke to their crew quite a few times, and mm-hmm. uh, that was fun. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, there were a lot of uh, one-offs back then. Mm-hmm. But, what, do, uh, what do you think that MTV is like shunned music completely and uh, that uh, doesn't I think even... it's, it's horrible. It's a destruction <laughs> of a once great brand. I don't get it. And VH1 too. And uh, I know they had some success with non-music programming, but they had it. They were the, the global music source, both VH1 and MTV, and they just let it go away. And it's, uh, it's ridiculous. And, of course, the original people behind it are all long gone. Yeah. Uh, so it's talk about corporate and uh, misguided. Yeah, I think it's a shame what's happened to that company. Well, I, you know, it's weird. I, I guess they are still you know, going for that, uh, you know, under 30 demographic uh, and and their interests, uh, you know, have changed dramatically over the past 40 years. So I, I can see the, the reason why they may do that. But I mean, their name is music television. Um, yeah, I know. I mean, so. they should be... Uh... What's really? today's music television? Uh, I don't know. Uh, you know. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, they should be uh, certainly embraced if they want to stay young and leave the older people to VH1, mm-hmm. great. But, but I'd focus on music and doing it better than anybody else. Yeah, yeah. 
Now, I know you didn't have a lot to do with AM uh, radio, but, you know, another big question in, in is how radio has helped cause uh, the deep political divisions currently found in our, our country. And, um, you know, again, I, I don't want to go down the talk radio format because that's not your expertise, um, unless you think adding that into the discussion will explain our, our current crisis. Uh, no, I think uh, uh, like Fox uh, and CNN and, C and MSNBC, uh, everybody is, uh, AM talk is just so one-sided one way or another. And uh, the liberal talk's really never taken off in a big way. Yeah, why but is boy, that? Do you, have you ever considered why, you know, I mean, yeah, I, I think think they tried and... They're uh, gutless. I mean, uh, I remember there was... Uh, forgot the name of it, but a liberal network. Yeah, America, Air they, America. They were, Air America, yeah. yeah. They were just like the worst. I mean, uh, the foxes ate them for lunch. Uh, just very weak, very whiny, and, uh, you know, didn't have that forcefulness that the uh, the right media had. And they didn't have, a you know, a Rush Limbaugh or any, any real hard hitters. So, uh, yeah, they just whipped out. I mean, they were just embarrassing. And um, still think there's room for it, but, boy, it needs to have the same level of balls as uh, the right wing has. So, so you're, you're talking about, uh, uh, you know, you know, proud socialists and communists uh, getting on and uh, 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 you know slapping the uh, the desk uh, in the in the, the same manner that you know the the right wing blowhards do. Yeah, exactly. Because it's personality driven. Yeah, personality driven, and obviously, if they if they go the communist socialist route, very you know directly, that could be a problem. But they can certainly. Uh, well, uh, the, the other side has been dog whistling their racism and uh, xenophobia yeah. and fascism for decades. So they're just, you know, there's a way to do it. You, you, you can. Oh stop yeah, battle, uh, there's and, absolutely a way and to still do it. be hard. So you got to have balls. You got to, I mean, go after it uh, with tremendous passion, character, and muscle. Right. And right. <laughs> no. No. Uh, well, they 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 dictated to the audience, you know, the the teetoting uh, sort of, um, you know, uh, live and let live uh, uh, audience, uh, you know, the 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 hippie crunch, uh, granola eating, uh, you know, let's right. let's let's let's, uh, let's go. So it's a little. It's and I get that. Uh, you know, it's it's a it's a couple of degrees. Uh, below uh, intensity uh, yes. for that crowd. So I can understand why um, uh, you would think uh, that, you know, your, your radio personality should mimic that um, because that's what the audience wants to hear. But you're not teaching the audience anything at that point. Uh, you're just giving them right. the same thing that they, that they feel you're not firing them up. You're not forcing them to, you know, uh, confront uh, the issues of the day uh, by doing so. You're, you're just, um, you're just making the world a, a little bit sweeter and nicer. Uh, yeah, exactly. And that's, that's perhaps why, why, why it failed. So how can radio and all its formats help heal our divisions? Uh, well, as far as AM and talk radio, um, I think it's mostly the healing is going to come on uh, with television and online, and uh, I think news, news video, news television news 
is in the same place terrestrial radio is. They're operating off some old school playbook. Old school, yeah, yeah. At a yeah. time when uh, you know there needs to be, and actually something we're working on called news movies, which is a real dramatic reimagination of news. It is both sides, but it's not vanilla and avoiding the fringes. It's attacking them. It's uh, you know, here's the right, here's the left. You decide, sort of, so to speak. And you might have Ted Nugent talking about gun control next to some Hollywood celebrity anti-gun control and put it right next to each other. Uh, well, that's the way it used to be before the uh, uh, the the um, Freedom of Information. No, no, no it's the um, it's 1987 law that uh, Reagan uh, Patriot uh, Act. No, no, this was uh, the where where you had to have uh, um, uh, opposing views on every political um, uh, station, television, uh, right. in, you yeah. know, equal time. Uh, the the fairness doctrine. Fairness. It's called the fairness doctrine. In '87, they uh, uh, the Reagan administration got rid of it. That allowed uh, the 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 launch of only one side uh, allowing to tell their story, not having to have uh, equal time. Yeah, and I think uh, there's uh, the opportunity for a really dramatic, noticeable new look and sound and feel in uh, television news mm -hmm. and uh, one that would attack both sides, but do it aggressively and not just you know, avoid the topics. Yeah. I mean, even today, then uh, KCRW in LA announced uh, cuts to, to staff and, you know, saw that. Yeah. That's, yeah. you know, that's talk radio, uh, uh, you know, NPR, but, uh, but still, uh, you know, it's, it's happening um, everywhere. Uh, you know, and to your point, I think it is that uh, the format is old and tired and uh, its audience is old and dying. Oh, you're right. Absolutely. And uh, just like younger people don't uh, listen to radio or have a passion for it, mm -hmm. it's the same thing in news and information. They're not going to watch the 10 o'clock news or even Fox or CNN. They're, uh, they're looking for something new, different, and in sync and harmony with the era. No, and we're seeing, we're seeing television news now go down the, the path that we saw with radio, with Cumulus and and uh, you know the Sinclair is out buying these local stations and you know and sending you know uh, video out to all of them to play exactly or say script to say exactly the same thing oh yeah yeah the big broadcast companies are no better or worse than the big radio companies mm -hmm. big tv companies so mm -hmm. there's a tremendous opportunity there so we have traditional terrestrial radio. We have Sirius XM satellite radio. Uh, now we have podcasting. Is that the new, uh, the new new for audio-based entertainment? And will podcasting eliminate those other formats in the long term? No, I think podcasting again is going to be a growing piece of the pie. Uh, I still think, along with streaming, that new formats on uh, again new platforms will be a big part of it too. But I don't see podcasting going away. I think it'll thin out because it's like, you know, there's so many of them. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think it'll thin out and the strong will survive. Uh, I don't see it as the, the big revolution, but I see it being a significant uh, piece of the listening puzzle, listening pie. So you tried your hand at publishing uh, as well. Uh, you went to work at oh, the Chicago yeah. Tribune Company. Uh, and, um, I, I know we talked a little bit about this before we got on the air, but, uh, it was, um, 
not a great experience. I mean, you know, you came in, I think, 2008, if I remember right. And yeah, that's, right. that's, that's, boy, you're, 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 you're going off the cliff when it comes to print media uh, at that point, wouldn't you say? Yeah. I mean, uh, on the print side, we had TV stations too and digital properties, but on the print side, um, 70% of the people there, I think, kind of were supportive and wanted to change and stay relevant. Uh, 20% were like, what are these guys talking about? And 10% were violently opposed to these radio guys, because it wasn't just me, it was Randy Michael, the CEO, came from radio too. How dare these people invade our temple of uh, journalistic excellence? You know, what do they know? And uh, it created a tough situation. Sort of felt like the drummer in Metallica playing for the symphony orchestra, you know, just it was a square peg round hole. We did do some great things. I mean, we uh, got, got these papers profitable again, and in some cases, increased their circulation. But at the end of the day, you know, the company went bankrupt, and it was just full of problems. And uh, I think we could have uh, could have stuck around and really improved it. But uh, I, I left, and then our CEO left. Everybody from the new generation left. And uh, it was uh, it was a crazy time, but I remember just you know the denial. I remember one time there was a guy who's uh, we were having a meeting, and they said nobody does investigative journalism better than we do. And I said, well, you know, sixty minutes was a pretty good job. That's not journalism. That's garbage. That's television. You know, it's like all this denial. And I knew there was a problem when my first week there, I went to the L.A. Times. And a big sign on the side of the building was to hell with Zell. Sam Zell being the new owner of the company. So oh, oh. Yeah, so um, it, was, uh, it was a crazy time. And it was there for about three years, but uh, it didn't end well. Well, that gets us to today. Um, tell us about your latest venture, Media Visions. Yes, there's four aspects to it. Um, you know, I spent a few years really diving in uh, the environment and what was out there and where it needed to go. And on radio, you know, I've got this new uh, radio format, which will, I haven't placed yet, but I'd like to see it on a streaming platform, a big one. Radio Free Earth. Yes. And then news movies, which is a complete reimagination of television news. It uh, It is to... Um, so it is to news what AM radio, what FM radio was to F, uh, AM back 50 years ago. It's just totally in sync with the era, whereas traditional news programming isn't. So that's an, I'm really high on that one, and we're aggressively looking at placing that. And uh, then the documentary called Sonic Messengers, When Music and Radio Changed the World. And this is uh, one that's going into production soon for release, probably toward the end of next year. And it's all about um, how music and radio work together going back to the early days of Top 40, right up through the streaming era we're in now. And it's just a fascinating story that touches on music, social change, and uh, all from the, the, the um, lens of radio. And uh, it's really very mainstream. It's, it's Every uh, radio and music was the soundtrack of America, and this really dives in and uh, without getting too inside baseball, really tells the story of it. 
they're pretty excited about that. And then some corporate things, um, adding sort of uh, corporate thinking, just the what we've learned from the trenches, a totally different dimension in what they're, uh, how they're thinking. We've just offered completely new thinking coming from where we come from. And we're also launching a uh, program, this is kind of interesting, uh, going to companies and saying, okay, you do corporate communication, which are newsletters, mass bulk emails, occasional offsite. We can elevate that by creating a television show that just goes to your employees, distributors, dealers, suppliers. Mm -hmm. And uh, it just takes a, the message, the vision you're trying to, the information you're trying to present to your, your people to a whole new level through a very entertaining but company-focused uh, television show. It was just went out to the streets, you know, pitching that like a few days ago. So those are the big, uh, the big four, uh, five, I guess. Uh, TV, radio, the corporate uh, TV show or video, uh, video news reels, sort of for them. Corporate consulting and uh, and the, doc about the documentary, the yeah, documentary. yeah, yeah, yeah. Sonic Sonic Messengers when music and radio changed the world. So, uh, have you started uh, filming that? Nope, very soon. Uh, just getting all the ducks in a row and uh, have a partner on that, Spencer Proffer, and uh, he's he's done a bunch of these. Yeah, oh, I know the name. Yeah, documentary yeah. filmmaker. Mm -hmm. Yes, so um, we hope to get started on that pretty soon. I understand you're a big fan of the latest Tarantino movie, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, because of how yeah, the music and the radio yeah. station KHJ is used. Yeah, that was a that was a trip. That was very authentic, and um, it was great to use that because it uh, again, it's very authentic. It's very real, and uh, that was impressive. Yeah, it helped take you back to that world, uh, both uh, visually, he had that down, but sonically as, as well. Yeah, 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 that's sometimes not fully thought out, but it definitely took you back to the sound of L.A. at the time Yeah, in yeah. a big way. So how do we make sure that we're not just a couple of old guys wanting to see the best of the past return, um, or is that actually a pathway to the future? Uh, well, I think uh, you've got to be passionate about the past, but completely focused on the future. Uh, unfortunately, most people in media of a certain age, you know, are just uh, rewinding the old days. And again, I'm passionate about those days. They were great. But I'm just totally focused on now and what's, what's ahead. And uh, it's just in my DNA. And uh, I think it is for any of us older folks that want to uh, really move ahead. And, you know, age is really, it's funny. When I first started, I was too young. And now I imagine, you know, some people might say I'm too old, <laughs> somewhere in the middle. But uh, it's proven, you know, I wasn't too young then. I'm certainly not too old now. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I'm just, again, very excited and passionate about the future. And very important to surround myself in all these projects with people who are part of the, the new mainstream out there. Mm -hmm. And in many respects, I'm an enabler, sort of a head coach, where they're actually the players. Mm -hmm. So uh, I think I'm a pretty good coach. So. I think it'll work out. Well, you look like an NFL coach. <laughs> I'm an NFL fan. So uh, you suggest Spotify is uh, the key to music's future. How so? Well, I think mean, Spotify, Apple, Amazon. So any of the those... streaming services. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Not necessarily Spotify, Spotify specifically, but uh, yeah, the new streaming services. I'm sure some other ones will emerge. 
but they're the ones with the they're the ones with the keys. Mm-hmm. They have the opportunity, and I hope they do, to uh, you know create magic mm-hmm. rather than just being jukeboxes. Well, where do you think uh, music? Uh oriented podcasts uh fit into this uh, and i ask that question because on the streaming side of things you know uh you know there's a there's a question on licensing and and playlists and dj playlists and things like that there's there there you know the the let, let's say the podcasting business is getting big enough that the big boys are beginning to pay attention and everybody's trying to figure out how to make this work yeah i think music if the rights are all figured out i understand there's some issues with that but if the uh, if it's legal to do, I think music oriented podcasts could be massive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've seen that uh, growth uh, ourselves. Uh, you know, we we when we started five years ago, uh, music uh, subject matter podcasts were at the bottom of the list of interests. Now, right. now it's in the top three. Uh, no, I bet. Yeah, so, so yeah, we just have to figure out that one uh, that piece of thing. So. Are you excited about Bob Dylan come ba- coming back to XM Sirius with uh, new episodes of uh, Theme Time Radio Hour? Oh, absolutely. I think those shows are amazing. Yeah, yeah. It, uh, that'll be a, a lot of fun. You know, I, I keep seeing you say over and over uh, in interviews and, and the research that I've done that media and information is the new rock and roll. Give me yes. your explanation on this. And is is music re- relegated to a backseat again? No, I think as far as what's driving, and music's always, you know, omnipresent. It'll be here forever, forever. But I think what's driving culture is more uh, information. Uh, people, uh, instead of a, uh, you know, the latest stereo or Walkman, it's the latest device. Instead of ta- arguing about who's better, you know, Jeff Beck or Jimi Hendrix, People are arguing about Trump and Biden. Um, and it's just, we're in a, a news information saturated world. So I think, you know, as popular as music is and always will be, it's really driving the culture is more information oriented, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. like the new information age, the golden age of information. Well, you know, everybody's got it on their hands. Uh, the entirety of human knowledge uh, walks around with you in your hand right now. Sure it does. Pro- yeah. prob- probably will be will be uh, inserted directly into your brain in the near, the near future. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, and so because you can argue with facts, you know, I mean, you can, you know, somebody says, well, I believe this, you can Google that and say, well, uh, Snope says you're right or wrong or, or what have you. So it does, does, does take uh, the salon argument to a, to a whole new level, wouldn't you say? Right. <laughs> so, um, you do have a blog, but uh, I haven't seen you written a book about all your expertise and experiences. Yeah, I'm actually in the process of that. Probably be ready next year. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, so, solutions for a creatively starved planet is the working title. Solutions for the creatively starved planet. I, I take it you're talking about this one. Yeah, a <laughs> yeah, definitely this one. <laughs> All right, give me, this is the final question. Give me the Lee Abrams crystal ball out 20 years. What is the radio landscape in 2040? Oh, I think it's all going to be uh, online. Uh, again, the uh, Apple, Amazon, Spotify types are going to be dominant. And I think at some point they will uh, go beyond jukeboxes and create uh, – you know, really amazing radio channels that sort of reinvent, reinvent it all. And I think that's an exciting future. Um, 
because I, I don't see, uh, particularly young people, I don't see them getting into radio, but I think they could get into this, this kind of radio uh, online. And uh, I think television news is going to go through a, a complete revolution. Hopefully we're helping, uh, you know, spearhead that, but uh, they'll look back at the way news was in the uh, early 21st century and laugh. And it'll be... Uh, the polarized, the polarized uh, uh, singular interest channels. And uh, just the presentation, you know, uh, where everybody says, uh, you know, the way they talk, they speak in news speak. And tonight, I'll be going out to dinner, and we're not sure where yet. You know, so mm. instead of tonight, we're going out to dinner, not sure where. Mm. Um, so just the whole style and the bombastic dun -dun 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 -dun, tonight at 10, you know, all this stuff is just going to be reinvented. And so it's like, a, it's like a vaudeville show for us. Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. And uh, do, you, do you think their terrestrial radio will survive and thrive in 20 years? I think 20 years it'll be here, but um, life support. On life support. That's, that's yeah. not good. Uh, yeah. Unless they change their ways. They won't. They won't. They won't. That's yeah. I I I tend to agree. I, you know, I, I I to me they have one great strength, and that is a geographic location. It, it, yeah. it, in the technology, the technology is that you're 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 it's it's limiting and freeing at the same time if you recognize that strength and weakness. But to your point, they'll never they'll never take that. No, forget it. Yeah, that's too bad. Well, Lee Abrams, such an honor having having you on Deeper Digs with us today. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. It's been great. Interrupting all programs. Give it up to Lee Abrams. Please uh, go and check out his new Media Visions company called LeeAbramsMediaVisions.com and check out what he's got going on, especially if you're in the industry at all. And yes, it's, this episode seems to be focused a lot on the industry of, or various industries between podcast movement at the, at the top end of the show uh, and the panel that I'm going to be on and, uh, and here talking to uh, Lee about what he sees in the media platform, especially with music and music podcasting, radio, television. Yeah, I, I think we both agree that the future is very bright. There's just so much content being made right now and from authentic voices. Uh, and that's the thing I love is that uh, there's just so many authentic people taking the mic and, uh, you know, looking at, uh, at, at things in a, in a new, uh, new perspective. And, and that's great. That's, that's, that's what uh, progress is all about, right? I guess that's my thought of, of, the, of the week is that um, Lee sees this, um, this moment 
as uh, as a big explosion, uh, similar to what he saw uh, in the late 60s. And, and that's fantastic. I was really, really excited after we had our discussion. And it just felt like, uh, gosh, all this work that we've been doing for five years is paying off and, and is going to really, really pay off uh, here. So, um, uh, so keep that in mind um, as we go on. And yes, by the way, if you didn't know, I'm literally just going to start doing these intro and outros, stream of consciousness. I'll pull a couple of things off the web and make a few notes, but uh, I'm not going to, uh, I'm going to try to stop the, the strictly writing everything down, mostly because I'm just so damn busy with so many things uh, that are going on here at uh, Pantheon. And uh, I I hope you all understand. You'll still get the great content. You're still going to get the great interviews. And I know that's really what you're here for. You're not here to listen to me yabber uh, ahead of time and and afterwards. But uh, I know some of you like that. And I appreciate that. Thank you for the cards and letters. And please send, keep sending more cards and letters. We we really, really enjoy all that we get from you. And holy crap, it's almost overwhelmingly positive please critique us give us some you know unhinged rants as we like to say uh you know some 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 criticism um and yes we do get uh, those every now, now and then and almost all of that in fact yeah almost all of it has been constructive and there was some there were a couple of issues, uh, well, you know, with the Gilroy shooting thing, I, I got some hate mail from that. But other than that, that's been just fantastic, and you guys are great, and I love you all for it. So, okay, next week, I'm going to have on with us photographer extraordinaire Neil Preston. Neil has a new book out, a big, beautiful coffee table book all on Queen. Neil was the tour photographer for Queen starting in the late 77 tour and all the way to the last uh, 1986 uh, tour um, with Freddie. Uh, it's all Freddie. It's, uh, it's you know, Freddie and the boys. It's uh, that era. And it's Neil's experiences, um, both in concert, uh, behind the scenes, at home. If you're a Queen fan, this is a must, put it that way. So come back next week to listen to uh, my lengthy discussion with my friend who I've gotten to know, Mr. Neil Preston. All right, that's it for this week. Gosh, I hope you, uh, I hope you guys enjoyed this new format. I'm gonna give it a shot for a bit. Uh, we'll we'll see how how it goes. We'll see how I like it, and we'll see how you like it. Most importantly, and with that, I'm out. You know what to do. Keep up the rocking. by Christian Swain. Produced by Christian Swain and Peter Ferrioli. Sound designed by Busy Signal Studios. Engineered by Jerry Danielson, Christy O'Donnell, and Leslie Barker. 
Find all of our shows, notes, and social links at PantheonPodcast.com. Contact us on social at Pantheon Podcast on Facebook and Instagram. Tweet us at Pantheon Pods. All songs can be found used in this podcast for purchase or streaming wherever you get your great music. Please pick up these amazing tracks. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.